0: Hi, everyone. Welcome to Women in Chemicals,
1: Woman of the Week. I'm Claire. And I'm Kylie, and we're joined today by Christine Shu, Senior Regional Transportation Manager at Univar Solutions.
0: Hi, happy to be here. Thank you so much for taking the time. Today's episode is sponsored by Royal Chemical. At Royal Chemical, we are in the business of developing solutions to the problems. Each job is our top priority. Every challenge is our opportunity to serve you. With more than 80 years of experience in chemical bl- blending, Royal Chemical has the expertise to be your preferred contract manufacturing partner. Ready to see how Royal Chemical can, can help you find the best customized approach to your business's unique needs? Contact us to schedule your free
1: chemical consultation today. Perfect. Thanks, Claire and Christine. Thank you so much for joining us today. And I know before we jump into the questions here that you wanted to have the opportunity to kind of level set on some themes that we might be discussing today. So I'll let you do that.
2: Great. Thank you. And I'm happy and Glad to be here. Um, I wanted just to bring up some of the key themes that I'm gonna be talking about with some of the questions. One of the things you can see is that I'm Asian, I'm also female, um, and I am, I, this is just my story. I'm not going to you know, create a commonality of all age in the community or anything like that. My intention is to talk about, this is my story. This is how I've grown through the years, becoming a manager, a leader through the chemical industry. I thought it might be something that's helpful for men and women. And that's the reason why I'm here.
1: Great. Thank you so much for kind of level setting how this conversation is going to, to go today. That's great. So we'll jump right into it. Christine, um, wanted to offer up the opportunity for you to introduce yourself to our community and those listening in. So please tell us anything you're comfortable with sharing about your background, how you got into the industry and into your current role today. Awesome. Thank you. Uh,
2: so I will start off in saying that, um, I grew up in Western Canada. There are some segments of context. That's why I thought I'd just kind of open this up and just for everybody that's (laughs) listening in to hear about me. So um, I grew up in the 80s in Western Canada. So segments of um, the outdoors, um, the cold, that is is parts that uh, I love and enjoy. Um, I also, um, growing up in Canada, it's parts where There was not a lot of prejudgments of who you are in terms of your color and in terms of what you what you what you are. So that was a lot of why I wanted to bring up that I grew up in a certain part of the North America and that factored into how I started to shape what it means to be bicultural, someone that is assimilating to a dominant theme of, it, of a culture here. So a lot of these things were segments of how I, I honestly had a lot of internal struggle going into my 20s and 30s, and now I'm in my mid-40s. So I thought that was something that I, I bring up just from the get-go. Um, so I'll go through the technical side of where I am today, but I also want to bring up what assimilation means and what bicultural means, because some people on this, listening to this may not really know what it is or they can relate. Um, And then I'm speaking specific to how I brought up, uh, how I was brought up as an Asian American. So on a technical side, I'm a chemical engineer. I did new product process introductions, a very standard um, introduction for somebody with that type of technical background. But from the get go, I've started to meet people that were 20, 30 years older than me, someone in their 20s going to a second shift manufacturing plant and trying to tell somebody like, this is good. (laughs) A lot of people will be thinking, what are you talking about, you young ones? Something like that. So a lot of it was I. I started to learn how to lean in, and I started to learn how to communicate in a way that said, "Hey, I'm not just going to say what I have to say, but let's learn together." So I should also preface this: when I started off as a chemical engineer, I started in R and D, I started in pilot, and then you would scale up to the manufacturing level. So there's a lot of disciplines behind that type of work, um, but in a lot of it. Pretty much came to where I am today in the supply chain. So that's that's a that's a small portion. So um, just some technicalities. Graduated in 2000 as a chemical engineer. 18 years as a Lean Six Sigma black belt and practicing. So I was started out in the food industry. Then I went into the pharma side, and then I spent 10 years with Univar. Um, started out doing Lean Six Sigma in transportation type projects, just doing optimization, efficiency, all that good stuff. Went into um, procurement, so handling um, the supplier side of um, anything that's related to not just the negotiations, but I call it the stuff. (laughs) So um, that's where segments that I held. And then um, the last five years has been in transportation.
1: Great. So we'll have a lot of questions surrounding the the background and kind of how these pieces come together. So hopefully we'll pick pick apart bits and pieces of some of your story here, Christine, as we tackle some of these questions. The first question being, based on your experience with chemical engineering and your R&D work and then switching to kind of Lean Six Sigma, process improvement, procurement experience and transportation now it sounds as though you made this switch ultimately, maybe gradually, maybe not. And we'll be curious to learn from your experience, but from R&D to like ultimately transportation or the logistics side of things. So can you help us to understand what prompted this change? Um, I'd be curious to understand if this was a quick change or if it was gradual over time, and then kind of some of the challenges you might've faced as part of that transition.
2: Yeah, for sure. Um, and. What I'll also answer is, um, I forgot that to bring up what assimilation meant and bicultural. So I'm going to, I'll just add that into your question here. So um, okay. what to me, um, <laughs> I think this is very helpful for for anybody um, that you know that you're going into a new company, right? So, for me, in terms of assimilation, um, I want to bring back my younger years um, out in in Western Canada. And the best way to talk about assimilation is probably through food. Everybody enjoys talking about food. So, um, coming from a you know a Chinese background. Um, And um, I am first generation. So my parents immigrated over here and a lot of them, they were very busy, very busy trying to make ends meet. Um, And so my parents, and one of the memories I've had was they're from Hong Kong. My father's from Hong Kong. My mother's from Macau Um, and a whole other conversation about communism and Taiwan and all that other stuff but I won't talk about it now in terms of them getting into their own areas. But um, anyhow, My father came from Hong Kong. He would make the weirdest foods that I had growing up. So for instance, I remembered um, going to um, Girl Scouts and an away camp. So this is all about being outdoors. Like I said, I'm from Western Canada, learning how to survive outside. And on the bus trip, I remembered my father packed me peanut butter and ham. Not peanut butter and jam, and I'm thinking everybody else has very normal food, and I have something incredibly disgusting. And that's that's not just one of them. There was other situations, and now roll this forward now into the 2010s or 2020s. um, And one of the things that came full circle, and this is what I'm talking about: learning about who you are and assimilating, because back then as a child, everybody wants to fit in. Everybody wants to fit into the dominant culture and then your other culture so my Chinese side took a lesser role and within that there was so much interplay of struggle because the culture that's who you are that's what's what how you were brought up as a person and then as you start to go into a dominant culture you don't know how to handle both of it so most of the time in my 20s and 30s I'm excelling professional wise but me as a person was just clamped down. And I think that helps in the question that you asked. So now in terms of going full circle, because I think a lot of people can relate to this, is I'm watching an Anthony Bourdain travel show as he's going out to Hong Kong. And then he's talking about all and one thing I did not really know was out in Hong Kong there is obviously it was a colony a british colony so a lot of the foods from england came over to hong kong and there was i just call it a weird mixture of asian and english foods so that comes now to oddities, like I call it, like English tea with condensed milk, toast with condensed milk, all these things mm-hmm. that I grew up in my home, but I just shunned as a kid thinking my family, they're weird, and I just want to assimilate. <laughs> so that's that's a segment. So let's say now, now I'm going to head into um, the question that you asked me in terms of how I got to where I am and, and, oh. and those those bridges. So I think as any female and i, I might, might maybe i won't make this as a majority i'll just speak to myself so most i keep i keep doing that <laughs> myself is i was i strove i was hungry um most people are right um my upbringing was i was second best because i was not a son i was not a male figure and in the asian mm-hmm. culture they very much take to the male side because that carries on the family name so growing up i've learned to listen observe watch and be smart in what you say and a lot of women may identify with needing to be a perfectionist needing to be very clear in what you say because you got one shot and that's how i was kind of going through my my professional career as i was going through things so That's that's one side. So your question had to do with how did I start from R&D then going into supply chain. A lot of it had to do with just my engineering side of looking into process, looking into efficiencies. Cost savings because logistics is all about order fulfillment and making a process that removes waste. So I worked on service industry in the Lean Six and then all of the, all of the stuff that we were just talking about. So it was mm-hmm. a very easy jump into Univar, um, knowing that I was first hired in to do to do Lean Six Sigma projects, um, and then a lot of it was just learn as you go in terms of the procurement and in transportation.
1: Right. I'm just typing this. So learn as you go. From my perspective, like you have to have some sort of comfort within yourself and like curiosity and willingness to want to learn with that kind of perspective. And maybe that comes with your experience with Lean Six Sigma, but I just want to commend you, Christine, for that commentary and how kind of simply put you just made that, Um, but also acknowledge that that's not necessarily super easy for a lot of people to be comfortable with. So I think that that's that's kind of, profound and sharing that so simply put, but, um, So we've talked a little bit about Christine and your experiences growing up and how they've shaped who you are today. Um, But maybe more specifically, I want to give you the opportunity to elaborate a little bit more on that if you feel strongly uh, to do so, but also want to kind of associate those with the skills and attributes that you now have as a leader in your career today um, versus just your career trajectory. So maybe I'll just rephrase the question and say, how have your experiences growing up helped you become the leader that you are today?
2: Very well said, and thank you for you saying that as well in your earlier compliment. Um, So the second theme that I want to dive deeper in is biculturalism. Let's face it, if whether you're from Canada or United States, North America, it is a melting pot. And there is a reality of we cannot stay in our silos of everybody in their communities. The workforce is all about blending of our diverse thought. And that is the part that I that I would say I feel prepared for. Because Growing up and going to different countries, I traveled a lot as in my prior years. Being bicultural, you had to learn that sometimes being an American, people may not appreciate someone that's very loud, (laughs) very independent and very creative. And those are usually the themes of someone being American. And then on the flip side, if you go somewhere else, usually silence can speak depth. And just any kind of body language a phrase, just a simple phrase can can either tick off somebody or open up conversations. So my father, he was also a chemical engineer. So I followed in his footsteps. He was a businessman and he, I watched him and he's still my model today as my coach and everything else under, on, around that. Uh, and I modeled a lot of how his, his fluidity and that's a thing about the bicultural, about being Asian. When people talk about yin and yang, fluidity, um, uh, uh, attention. uh, And I never thought I'd say this, to be honest, I never thought I'd say this until I get to me in my mid 40s going through being uncomfortable with myself and then learning to Mm -hmm. embrace these differences that we all have. And I think that's a key segment that no matter if I'm Asian, but I bet other people can identify with what I'm saying is that everybody has skeletons in their closet. (laughs) <laughs> and it's how you handle and deal with those situations. And I'll be honest, it's called pain and sorrow, my friend. <laughs> it's how you handle those and how you have a reflective mirror around you to, t- to speak truth in your life and how you rise from it because that's the difficulty sometimes with people that have a minority culture is that somebody can get just down and upset, frustrated and rightfully so Um, Or you say, how can I learn from this situation? And then people that are further along can say, how can I help you through a situation like XYZ? And that's why I thought this topic to me was very helpful about what it means to be diverse, what it means to be inclusive, what it means to belong in, in a company because outside of a company, people can stay in their communities, but at work you are forced to almost embrace certain things, whether you like it or not. And the topic is how do you flex and how do you change? So now going back to what you said about, you know, it was easy for me to just deal with ambiguity. And it's probably because I'll also bring this up and it was something that I wanted to touch on further. And I might sound like I'm going all over the place. It said internet connection is unstable. Is it everything? Okay. Okay. Um, so when I grew up, some of my models of, uh, you know, like just growing up and what you see as female or anything like that, I had Cinderella <laughs> in the eighties. And now I just think there's so many other venues of movies, toys, Um anything. So for me, my recent was She-Hulk. I thought that was an interesting um, way to open up a female's mindset as they are a career woman um, developing and figuring out like She-Hulk is great and she's powerful, but now she used to be someone small and a lawyer, incredibly smart. So she's going through a mental um, complexity and figuring out who is she right now? And I think that is the crux of the segments that I'm trying to bring up here on this call. So anyhow, um, with all that said, for me, in terms of dealing with these themes that I'm talking about, I felt like in my 20s and 30s, I was so hungry. I was so hungry and I just performed almost probably to an unhealthy segment of being a perfectionist. I'll be very honest on that. Um, And I think a lot of people can identify that you just want to perform and get acquiring of certificates, degrees, and all that stuff. And then at the end of the day, I said, my brother's a doctor, I'm an engineer, and yet it's not enough. (laughs) So I thought,
0: who cares?
2: And that's probably where I hit a moment where I'm now relaxed and I've accomplished what I need, and I am who I am, and I'm comfortable in my skin. And that's where I started to open up, relax, and say things that I felt was necessary, judge the situation. I shouldn't say judge, but almost like you're seeing, it's almost like situational analysis. You're seeing the environment speak when you need to, or get on the table and flail mm-hmm. your arms and saying no, this is not appropriate, you know? And, and that takes a lot of comfortable confidence, not fake, not humble or anything that's on that fulcrum. And it is hard. It is hard to have that healthy level because I think most of us like to do a situation and then you're like, did I do enough? <laughs> Am I good enough? What did I say? What, what did people think? And I think, I think mm-hmm. you have to almost take a spoonful of sugar and take the medicine, go down, just kind of let it be (laughs) and um, just, just forgive yourself and forgive others.
1: Yeah. So you, you mentioned this comfortable confidence and selfishly, Christine, I ask you, when did you like truly feel that you achieved this comfortable confidence?
2: I think, and I'll be, I'll be honest, I think it's a, it was a little combinations of my personal family life, as well as my professional and my kids. So I I forgot to say I have kids 12 to 14, (laughs) middle school and high school. I should have added that in the, in the (laughs) intro. My kids will kill me later. Um, but (laughs) I think, I I think people bloom at different, different stages in life. And I think for me. someone with my upbringing as Asian, I clamped down and I was quiet a lot and I let my inner motor skills and my family and friends to be my outlet until I just opened up the closet and I just said, bam, this is who I am. And I, yeah. think, I think a lot of it was inner healing, to be honest. A lot of inner healing from, I, I call it the closet of pe- whatever that people have to deal with so for Mm -hmm. me and I'll just kind of leave it a little bit is for me my family situation was my mother was going through kidney failure and so Mm -hmm. with that she we knew that was coming and I think it's the fulcrum point because I guess siblings always compare themselves with each other I don't know but at least (laughs) for my family so my brother at one point I remember because my mother went through went to the ER a ton Um, she was in a coma at one point as well but Another story for the details, but I remember at one point, my brother and I came to my family's house, my parents' house around 11 o'clock at night. My brother went and spoke to my dad specifically cause he was trying to get the medical history. And I went upstairs, I went upstairs just to see my mom. And then I realized that's my role. (laughs) My role is not the medically trained, but it's realizing that we just need to take her to the ER. And my role as a daughter, that's when I said, it doesn't matter, doesn't matter who I am and I'll embrace all family closets, (laughs) you know? So I I think that's the segment as a learning for women or anybody is that we all have our issues and it's figuring out how to forgive ourselves forgive other people in a real way and then confronting the issues you know like some people don't want to confront the past or their issues and they just kind of glide through so that I think is the authentic accountability that people do need to seek and it's easy social media you just watching tv watching netflix but I think That's the important thing is that if you definitely want to grow, you've got to be intentional in the way that you want to pace yourself in the development. There'll be a time that you're going to work very late for a certain job. Another time Mm -hmm. you have to rest and take care of yourself. Another time is putting on a different role hat for being someone that's a female, you know? So anyhow.
1: Mm -hmm. Yeah. So you you mentioned, Christine, about in your closing comments here to this question about forgiving yourselves and forgiving others but also confronting those issues that you're finding yourselves to to have to dig for that forgiveness for and then effective accountability is what you called it and I think that that's a great segue into this next question and so holistically so Claire and I sit in the United States and forgive me Christine I'm not sure if you sit in Canada today is that where you're located New Jersey. Forgive me for you not are. saying yeah. in the intro. <laughs> no, that's okay. So we're, we continue to learn. Um, so let's talk a little bit about over the last 18 to 24 months, there's been a sense of division throughout the United States as a theme, um, any guidance from you on how to overcome and heal as, as an individual, um, in the workplace and personal life, what advice do you have?
2: Yeah, I, I really appreciate this question, and so I'm going to slow down and talk about it, and I'm going to phrase it with certain stage gates so people that's listening can understand what I'm trying to say. So I'm going to bring up the tragedy. I'll bring up the tragedy. Excuse me. I'll bring up the personal experience. Um, I'll bring up my response to it, and then I'll bring up the positive, at least how I see it, um, the positive out of a tragedy because no one wants to stay negativity. negativity in terms of real issues like this. So let's kind of pull ourselves back about maybe slightly over a year ago. We are in COVID. Everybody is indoors. People are a little bit fearful about what this pandemic means. Um, and uh, there was Asian violence, right? There was other, other situations of uprisings that were taking place. And people were a little bit on what is going on. At least that's what I was doing with my family when we were remote and isolated. So that, that's the context that I wanna bring this up. And as well as in the early cusp of what was going on with Asian violence. So that, that's the situation. Now I wanna bring up what happened or, the, or, or more to this story. So here's my comment and, I'm, and I wanted to refer to my notes um, because it is important. So my call out is when, when, when individuals bring up certain words and that individual has a degree of influence and power as well as authority, it does impact. I didn't say that correctly, but it has a very weighted impact. So words such as China virus, or Kung flu, people thought, oh, it's a rhetoric commentary. But there was a lot of an outcry that came after that. And that's the segment where I'm going to bring up the personal experience. So I was in a situation where I'm just an open public area, and someone said to me, this Asian violence that's going on, this is fake news. This is meant to open up um, sympathy towards a particular community. And then when I heard that, I was deadpan silent because most anybody that hears a comment like that with, with you know, I'm, I'm Asian, I was like, I was in shock. I thought someone is saying this and how do I respond? So believe me, I had, I had some swear words in there quietly <laughs> inside. And I said, look, I am scared for my husband. He commutes into Manhattan, New York. And mm-hmm. I'm scared that he will get shoved on the subways or get box-cutted across his face because he's just purely Chinese. And then I just left it as that. You know, and that opened it opened up a lot of other conversations, right? And 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 I understandings from it. But from that, I want to also read something. So that that is the situation. And I want to I want to now go into something that's turning into positive. Because within the Asian community, now with social media, I have people that I knew, right? And I'm going to quote. Um, so there's a uh, nonprofit organization that's called Stand With Asians. My high school friend, his name is Dave Blue. He is out in California. He is an investor. He's an investor out in the San Fran area. And he got together. He wrote a one-page article, which got posted on the Wall Street Journal. He banded together with the Stand With Asians, and he was trying to raise awareness as well as accountability to say enough is enough. He ended up raising not just 1 million and not just 10. I almost believe it was up to 20 million, but I don't know. I didn't track that, but at least I'll be comfortable to say at least the 10 million. So out of this article is what I want to read because I think other communities can understand this. So all right excuse me okay so we read another member of our community being physically attacked simply being asian we are afraid for the safety of our loved ones we are angry that our families can no longer go outside in our own neighborhoods where they have lived for decades because it may not be safe we have given a lot to this country where we were born or to which we immigrated Our community includes your cashiers, your teachers, your cooks, your doctors, your dry cleaners, your colleagues, your neighbors, your friends. We cut your nails. We write your code. We together have launched rovers to Mars and back. Many of us have created jobs for hundreds and thousands of Americans. We choose to make America our home. We strive every day to make America better just like you. And there's a last segment here because I think this is important. We no longer want to fear being stabbed from behind, fatally knocked to the ground, having acid thrown in our face or gunned down like the mothers and grandmothers in Atlanta. We no longer want to see photos of bruised or battered Asian seniors with GoFundMe links asking for support. It is critical, this is the part I really wanted to quote, it is critical that we also acknowledge that the violence we are experiencing has been the daily reality of our Black, Latinx, Indigenous, and LGBTQ communities. And that was the part that I wanted to, like, to say about diversity, inclusion, and unconscious bias, because this is what we have to all work with and, and interact with every day. So I'll be quiet. Wait for you to ask me a question.
1: <laughs> no, I, this is profound, Christine, and I don't want to take away from what you've shared. Um, so I'm going to leave it at that, unless Claire, you have additional comments or questions to ask based on what Christine has just shared.
0: No, I agree. And I I just say, Christine, I applaud you for your bravery, for speaking up for, you know, for, for your husband and bringing awareness to this person that you came across that said that terrible thing. So, you know, it's whether it's two of the masses or individually, I think, you know, what you're doing yourself was, was very um, brave as well, so.
2: Thank you, thank you. Um, I want to say something about reconciliation, because in the workplace, I think it's, fair, let's also say this from the other side, because I've done a lot of this. When I am earnestly curious about something, I may mess up with the question that I'm trying to ask, because I'm, I'm fumbling with words, and I think People can understand a true earnest desire to learn and understand what is what is happening in someone else's shoes. And I think the key thing of what reconciliation means is that authentic conversation. And that to me has been a wonderful key theme of taking away judgments, stereotypes, news that could be very silo and say, hey, I want to get to know you. Tell me more. Tell me more about you. What does it mean about this? And forgive me if I'm saying something that would offend you because I'm really trying not to offend you. You know, and, and I think at the end of that situation was my personal experience, is where we arrived and saying, that's okay, I get it. And, and we reached a point where we can really, really have a good conversation.
1: A good comment, and it's also a good kind of segue into this next question surrounding um, enabling folks to feel empowerment and inclusivity in the workplace and their personal lives, whatever it might be. So, Christine, let's talk a little bit about from your own experiences what guidance you might be able to share to our community to ensure that we are making mindful and intentional decisions, actions, whatever it might be, regarding empowerment and inclusivity in our communities, our work life, our personal life.
0: For sure. So.
2: I can't help to give a plug in the work culture that my company is doing because it has been incredibly intentional. Um, And I'll almost say it from, because if people from Univar is listening to this conversation, they can relate. So um, we have, we have uh, uh, these uh, online sessions that are across like for Univar, we are a company of 10,000 people, um, about 5,000 in the U- in the US and, and Canada, so North America. So our people leader calls, we take the time to understand what does unconscious bias needs. what does it mean and, and we value the person. We value what it means to invest in the individual and understand who they are and giving that space. So within our people leader conversations, like our one of our most recent ones, we had someone from the Latinx community talk about their specific unconscious bias to break down and be very real of what people might be thinking and to break it down. And for me, even though I'm not Latinx, I could totally identify just because of my upbringing. And so that is something that I think is very helpful for companies is to be incredibly intentional. Mm-hmm. Intentional in a way of not just saying it, but in, in, in some of the structures of it. And so, for example, um, within Univar, we also have within our goals to say we want to be intentional in hiring minority leaders. I don't remember what the X years is, and so... I'm going to ask for forgiveness for my company that (laughs) I don't remember. Um, But I think these are amazing goals and achievements for a company to say, this is our vision and this is how I'm getting there. And along the way, I'm dropping these segments of how I can break down misunderstandings. Here's another thing I think is very helpful. In my diversity training, and honestly, I never thought I'd be talking about this, really. I really didn't think I'd be talking about this until I hit my mid-40s. And I said, I'm dealing with these issues because I've hit a ceiling in my career. And now I have to figure it out myself and be aware of that so I can create my own space to say, this is okay and not okay. So, and I think that is the segment. I think um, we in general all have to figure out when we would do that, I guess. Um, Darn, I forgot my comment. Oh, well, it'll come back again.
1: That's okay. So we were talking a little bit about, and I'll just summarize a little bit of your response in case that inspires anything, Christine. So we're talking about how what advice you have for ensuring mindful and intentional efforts, activities that create empowerment and inclusivity in the workplace. So we've covered a couple of the key actions that your current employer Univar has taken, which sounds Mm -hmm. terrific and it's amazing to hear about. So I'm excited for our community to hear about those. Um, And then you talked a little bit more personally about what you're doing um, to understand what your goals are for inclusivity as well.
2: Thank you. Thank you for that rehash, because it did bring up the comment that I wanted to bring up. Um, So we also have um, everybody has to take uh, the people leaders have to take diversity training. Um, Actually, I'm not sure if it was everybody or all people managers, that part I'm not aware of the semantics of it. So maybe take that up, please, (laughs) on our recording. Um, But a lot of, uh, some of the things that um, as managers we have to pay attention to in, in in our workplace at Univar is how do you provide an inclusive environment? Meaning to be selective in the words that you say that not to say specific, and obviously I can't, for some reason I can't think of examples, but like saying certain terms that are only for the South, only for the North, only for oh. the West and the East. So like, so it's not creating in, in the intention of trying to create inclusive inclusivity, you're, you're creating everybody else that can't relate to that experience as in or out. And so that sure. has been a really good um, learning for me to, to be aware of that. Um, as well as when you talk in an environment is to just not bring up commentary that could be like, hey, hey, let's just talk about, um, I don't know, like a specific pastime, and then no one else can identify only two people within a whole group of individuals. And so I think that has also been helpful just to say, we don't want to be inclusive in, in the conversation. So I can't think of an ideas, but anyhow, I think you get what no, I, mean. I-
1: you and ins- you sparked something that I like smirked a little bit about and I think of this so I worked in procurement up until about four months ago uh, myself in the specialty chemical space and um, oftentimes I would get calls from sales reps saying, "Hey, like do you want to have a golf meeting and i I'm not a golfer by any means. I have my first set of golf clubs this summer like this is not something that I actively do as a pastime, but it is something yeah. that can oftentimes be like stereotypically bucketed together with, with some of the activities in the workplace too. So that's just an interesting thing that came to my mind as an example, but yes. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So yeah, do you have an additional comment, um, Christine? Go ahead.
2: So I think, um, I think I'm going to kind of bounce towards some of the later questions to kind of combine, um, Advice um, to somebody handling a situation like this, or yeah, um, I think it was one of your other co- questions of what advice do you have for young women starting their careers? Um, I think a lot of it has to do for me is you gotta from okay, I'll I'll also frame this with another combo <laughs> of some of your questions. i I'm, like, I'm making this complicated for you. Um, You're fine. Being in logistics in transportation. I've definitely had different segments where I hit burnout. (laughs) I bet many people can relate to that because of the of the, the original pace of transportation and then COVID hitting. So one of the learnings that I've had was learning how to one triage red, yellow, green, figuring out what do I really need to pay attention to that is an emergency. I'll be honest. I have, I still struggle with that because for me, I have a lot of people that come with issues and questions and I want to help everybody because all of them have, all of them have their own needs. So, so that segment is, a, as a, is a part, is a learning for me as well. Um, mm-hmm. But another part of it is mental health, for sure. Like, I don't think a lot of us knew the extent of what mental health meant to rest, to be mindful, to be present, as well as when you have to go, you got to go. So segmenting those segments of work hard and play hard and and, uh, flex those is something that I think was very important for me. I don't think I've learned that until recently, because Mm -hmm. like I was saying before, I was trying to just press the metal to the pedal until I hit a certain segment of my life and saying, my life is also not my own. You know, I've got kids that are in their teenage life where um, I'm modeling life for them and they're looking up to me and I'm coaching them mentally and how they present themselves. What do they say? And all, and all that good stuff. So I think there's there's a lot of take home messages I've learned and it's kind of neat because. A lot of my learnings, I'm instilling it in my kids, and they're so right. young, so they're just kind of probably nodding their heads, thinking, yes, mom, stop. <laughs> this is enough. But, um, but I think a lot of it was, um, and now I'll just kind of go into some specifics. I think um, me as a person, and then I'll talk about as a manager and as a leader. So there's different venues of this. So for me, I've realized that um, there is a time to be completely accurate and to the par in terms of providing an a plus (laughs) plus plus deliverable and i'm saying this because i'm a chemical engineer i'm i'm very much into accuracy (laughs) to to a detriment and that is probably a good segue to say what skills got you to where you are in life once you hit a manager leader role it may not be the certain skills that you need to take you further so there mm-hmm. is that flex of that. So I will talk about what got me there and what I've learned, and then I'll go forward from that side of it. So some segments for me was learn to, learn to relax. I did not learn to relax. <laughs> I was very serious. I've learned to um, gauge the situation. Um, I've learned to practice what I'm saying. And a lot of people that know me um, is are very aware that I sometimes put a filter in my mouth and I practice my messaging because I was raised as a consultant. So I, I practiced what I say. So it's very stilled. And then sometimes when I'm very relaxed like this, I'm just a blabbermouth. (laughs) So I think there's, there's usually a flex of that pattern Mm -hmm. of, um, how do you present yourself? And to one, um, Don't be so hard on yourself. I think that's very hard for an individual because you want to, you want to excel. You want to be perceived as you know, somebody of greatness. But honestly, forgiving yourself and forgiving others is truly important. And I think that's also another segment where Univar has recently putting through um, one of our core values is we want to empower people, as well as Mm saying it's okay to make mistakes. Because when you make mistakes, you can create. Um, a a melting pot of creativity, especially with the diversity of thought, as well as to say, um, it's okay to disagree with everybody. Not everybody has to agree. And that also is hard to do when everybody wants to kind of feel good. So I think Mm -hmm. that, that mix is what I think is interesting.
1: So Christine, I do want to acknowledge where we're at in terms of time here. And I want to give you an opportunity to kind of focus in on some recommendations or closing comments as we come kind of to the to the latter end of this interview here this afternoon. So um, wanting to give you a chance to maybe speak to anything that you feel that you haven't had the chance to discuss here this afternoon, um, or provide our community with any recommendations that you might have associated with books that you've read, podcasts that you listen to, um, mantras that you live by, any of the above really, I want to open the floor up to you.
2: Great, thank you. Um, so um, one of the things that I think has been helpful and I'll probably touch on some of the, the question of, that I did not answer <laughs> to the part about going forward in terms of management and leadership skills. Um, and then I'll hit into the mantras and the mottos and the books. Um, I've learned to trust my team. Learned to trust my team learn to hire people that may actually have higher skills than myself. So being uncomfortable with a high performing team, and applauding them, encouraging them, fostering an area of growth and a, and a, a growing mindset. I think it's very important so that the, the group that you cultivate can start to make pace and go faster. So then the role as a leader is to almost provide guidance. And a lot of these commentaries have probably been brought up before. So it's, it's not earth shattering, it's how you do it within the individual's (laughs) leadership style, I think is important, but I touched on a lot of that from from the interview. So to answer some of your questions about mottos and mantras, um, I've learned to uh, talk about, actually, I think I brought it up in a lot of the interview is uh, being mindful of what, what brought you where you are now may not be the skills and mindsets that brings you into your future. And I think that mm-hmm. segment is helps an individual to always be uncomfortable with yourself. So I think that mm-hmm. is something very key. Um, Another one is being open to change. Change is ever present in our environment and being able to stop and listen to other individuals because they they might actually have something really interesting and smart that that I could learn, that anybody can learn along the way. Mm-hmm. So learning to listen is very important and distilling what the individuals say. So not, not to listen, to say something, it's to listen, mm-hmm. to learn um, is, is a good call out. Um, so yeah. in terms of the specific topics about um, Asian American violence and all that stuff, um, if anybody is in the New York City area, There is a museum called Museum of Chinese Americans. And um, I brought my kids, I brought myself there, my husband, and it was actually a journalistic approach of the Asians here in America that contributed to society. And in the past, a lot of them were quite not publicized or not, not prominent because of the trends of that time. So I thought that was very interesting for me and my family because we, didn't, we weren't aware of a lot of the contributions. So that I thought was really interesting. Now in terms of social media, I thought I'd bring this up. I really enjoyed um, like on LinkedIn, leadership first. I thought that was nice. Ted talks, these are all very general and um, like all very normal um, segments here. Um, I've, I've been listening to um, Stand with Asian Americans. And the reason why I'm saying a lot of current things was to be honest, when I did searches for actual books about assimilation, when I looked about things of what I've been brought up, not a lot of it is actually written. There might be stories, but not of it is current today. And I Hmm. thought that was also interesting because a lot of it is actually happening to where we are now. So the Mm -hmm. article that I read in terms of Stand with, with Asian Americans that was probably one of the first that, that Asian American Pacific, like all of that community banded together and contributed to, um, to, to fund. And I will probably just, I'm probably rambling, but I just thought I'd also bring up the type of people that contributed to this. So these are people that were like founders of Zoom, um, Eric Yuan, found, co-founder of YouTube, Um, co-founder of Yoni Feng, I mean, co-founder of Peloton. So these are companies that are quite established that just said, hey, this is not appropriate. And I think that to me was something was a really important voice for many people with of a different background to say we it is okay. It is okay to embrace yourself. And Mm -hmm. and um, there are people that really want to listen and understand you, too. So let's all pause and kind of smell the roses is the thing that's it on
1: my side. Yeah, great. And that's a great way to end. Pause and smell the roses, slow down, acknowledge and and listen. So I'll close on that, Christine. And the only thing I want to say to you is thank you for your time. Thank you for sharing your story, your insights and your experiences. And I'm excited for our community to learn from you as well. So thanks so much, Christine. Thank you.
0: I appreciate it.